suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. Despite the reputation of their homeland, some are remarkably thin-skinned, some seem to have multiple lifespans, a few were once thought to be extinct in the region, others have been observed being sacrificed by their own. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch question and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Well, hello, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. Welcome aboard, especially if you're new to the podcast. We're live streaming on the normal Iron Fist Velvet Glove Facebook and uh, Facebook page and YouTube, and we're also over on the Noosa Temple of Satan Facebook page. So, might get some new people if you are new to us. Um, hopefully, if you are on the Noosa Temple of Satan Facebook page, you can make comments and they'll appear on the screen in the chat room. If not, if that doesn't work, head over to our page, but uh, it should work. We'll see how we go. Anyway, this is a podcast where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. That's the hat that I'm wearing on this occasion. With me, as always, is Shay the Subversive. Hello, Shay. Good evening. And Joe the Tech Guy is here. Evening all. Right. So this is a show where we talk about news and politics, sex and religion, a little panel discussion every second week and every other week, something a little bit different. Last week was um, our mythicism debate where Cam Riley and Hugh Harris discussed whether Jesus existed as a historical figure. That went for two hours of to and froing over the Bible and the letters of Paul. So um, we try to do something different every second week. But um, anyway, this week, well, we're going to talk about, uh, going to kick off with what happened with the Noosa Temple of Satan and all of our activities on the Gold Coast. And then we'll talk about a whole range of things, Uh, Qantas and what's been happening with the crew there and the sacking of people a little bit on Jason Clare, the uh, outstanding performer for the Labor Party. You must have been enjoying his performance, Shay. Mm. Yeah. 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 Mm. Sound only lukewarm. Is that just okay? Uh, or? Yeah. No, just okay. I think All he's right. fine. I, was, yeah. I thought he was great. All right. Yeah. Um, talk about Vote Compass, uh, a bit of Morrison's latest uh, nonsense, various other bits and pieces. I got abused by a... Uh, by the Clive Palmer candidate's assistant while I was on the Gold Coast. I did nothing to instigate it, but he didn't like the look of me. Um, And various other bits and pieces. Which party is the best economic manager? We'll get onto that as well. But we'll start with satanic stuff, and it'll be a bit of a dialogue from me on this one. Feel free to interrupt if you want to at any stage, Joe and Shay. But it was quite an extraordinary uh, thing that happened on the Gold Coast over the last few days. So I was going to be down there on holidays anyway. So it worked in well. So um, so if you haven't followed all the press releases, this will be new to you. If you've been following them, it'll be a little bit of a repeat. But anyway, that's what it is. So, so um, as you know, Noosa Temple of Satan, our thing is to challenge uh, Christians, test their faith and... Uh, 
We saw a media report about how the Gold Coast Mayor, Tom Tate, had employed his spiritual advisor, Sue Baines, to be a councillor advisor. And there were media reports um, that she was quite a very strong Christian, one of these new evangelical style. And um, she had told Mr Tate, or Lord Mayor Tate, that there was a demonic stronghold um, at the Home of the Arts Centre on the Gold Coast, and that after a spiritual battle, she boasted about displacing the powers of darkness that had inhabited this precinct on the Gold Coast. Quite strange stuff, you have to admit. And being Satanist, it certainly pricked our ears. Um, According to Ms Baines, the area surrounding this uh, precinct was the original gateway to surface paradise, meaning it was a place of control. She sensed that the, quote, enemy had a stronghold on that land, end quote. And uh, she used the opening of the Green Bridge as an opportunity to bless the bridge. And um, she claims that this blessing came after Mayor Tate said, um, why don't we pray and dedicate the new bridge to the Lord and create a new gateway? So quite extraordinary stuff, all reported in the Gold Coast Bulletin. And we looked at that and we thought, well, that's really um, very pro-Christian and very anti-Satanic. And in a world of multi-faith, multi-spiritual belief, everyone should be able to get along. Really thought, well, these people don't understand what multi-faith is all about and the need to you know, consider other religions. And so we thought it would be a good idea to conduct a ceremony and, and reclaim demonic possession of the Home of the Arts Centre and welcome back the demonic spirits. A sort of a counterspell, if you like. Later on, we, we called it a reverse exorcism. <laughs> That's the term we came up with. And so we fired off a press release and um, about doing this on a Saturday and crickets. We didn't hear anything for a couple of days. And Robin and I were ringing each other going, have you heard from anybody? No, I don't understand it. It's a, this is good. Why aren't, they, why aren't they talking to us? Like... Honestly, there was no response for a couple of days. And what ended up happening was at the same time we heard about uh, a prayer room that Ms Baines had opened up in the, uh, in the council chambers. So um, from another article, Mr Tate trumpeted the benefits of the prayer room and was reported as saying, importantly, the prayer room, which was a disused storage room at chamber, is open to any member of the public and any group through the normal booking protocols. He added, I'm delighted that groups are already utilising it, including an organisation this week that is actively assisting people with addiction issues. So I read that and thought, well, it's open to any group. <laughs> so while I'm on my holiday down the Gold Coast, <laughs> this is the Thursday before the Easter long weekend, um, I had uh, actually maybe it was the Wednesday. I had sent an email to um, communities at the Gold Coast saying, well, "We've heard of the prayer room and we'd like to support the Lord Mayor or the Mayor with this initiative. Uh, how do I go about booking a room? I'm interested in um, on the Friday at uh, mid morning would be good. Afternoon would be okay. How do I go about it? And on the Easter Thursday, late in the afternoon, I got this phone call from an unknown number." Picked it up, answered it, and it was Sue Baines herself ringing me up. 
And I thought for sure as an egg she's onto us, but no. Um, she said, so, uh, yes, the prayer room will be open and available. And um, just for booking the room, uh, you know, what, what group are you with? We'll just need a name to group it under. I said, oh, we're not anything particular. Um, she said, what about... Um, what about, I'll need to know the names of the individuals involved because we're going to issue a security lanyard to them and I'll meet you outside and we'll escort you into the prayer room, so I'll need the names of the people. I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm just working out how many is coming and who's going to come, so I'll, I'll email you those details later. So Tuesday morning, fired off an email saying, well, oh, well, we got onto the Facebook page, a few local coast people, actually like both of them ladies and one of them with kids, um, agreed that they'd come to our prayer meeting. And um, and so emailed her and said, oh, here are the names. In fact, two of them are kids. And um, and by the way, uh, it's the Noosa Temple of Satan that's booking the room. And that was, I think, Tuesday morning. And it must have been within an hour or two of that, very soon, uh, we did a press release out. And then uh, ne- next time he was in front of the press, the, uh, the local newspaper reporters were like, so... The room's been booked by some Satanists. Tell us about that. And he was like, there's no such booking. Not going to happen. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? So as we said in a press release, all, all hell broke loose probably. And um, anyway, um, of course, what happens with satanic activism, dear listener, is that there's a privilege out there and... Uh, Christians don't realise it's a privilege and I think it's all perfectly normal. But then when somebody they don't like from a religion they don't like decides to exercise the same privilege, uh, they'd rather cancel the whole thing rather than let us participate. And so no surprise that um, uh, 24, 48 hours later I got an, I got an email saying that, uh, in fact, the prayer room has been closed to people who don't work in the building, so it's no longer available to the public, citing security concerns and also saying that since they got our booking, they were getting bookings from various groups, which was really just saying it had become incredibly popular, so they were stopping it (laughs) because it was too popular. (laughs) The prayer room, come on. Yeah. So they sort of got around a discrimination claim by just cancelling it to everybody, which, of course, is what they have to do. If they want to cancel us, they then have to cancel everybody. So, um, hey, while I'm talking, there's lots of people in the chat room chatting away. Fantastic. Um, Make your comments. It's all appearing uh, on the video, so that's great. Um, And so it was the prayer room issue that totally blew up on media. At that point, um, I was getting phone calls from... Gold Coast Bulletin, ABC Radio, ABC Online News, um, Channel 9 wanted to do stuff. Um, Friendly Atheist, don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, he got Seth Andrews. Yeah. Uh, no, not Seth. Is it Meta? Oh, no. Me- Hammond Meta is Hammond the Friendly Meta. Atheist. Yes. yes. He, um, he Zoomed me and wanted details. So, oh. Um, so, and, yeah, did an article as well. So... Uh, so it just went off in newspapers all around uh, the country and just exploded. Um, lucky I wasn't trying to do any work that week because it was busy fielding all that. And, um, and yeah, one of the things we did was um, 
So the prayer then was cancelled, but some of the media wanted to meet me on the Friday anyway and just do a bit of a video and another um, chat. And so I met this uh, camera crew from Channel 9 Gold Coast and um, we were out the front of the council chambers. It was really noisy. There was a... um, there was a um, yeah, that audio was bad. Yeah, there was a band practicing because uh, it's an entertainment precinct. So a band was practicing for that night. And um, anyway, they said, "Oh, there's a, there's a courtyard on the other side of the building. Let's go there. It'll be quieter. Uh, we'll go through the building if they'll just let us." And so we went in through the front door and said to the people there, "Is it okay? Can we just go through to the courtyard at the back?" And this lady said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll escort you through. You can you can go through and." Um, as we were walking through, I said, you know, we need a quiet spot and I know there's a prayer room around here somewhere that would be just ideal <laughs> if, you could, if we could use that. It'd be great. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> she laughed, took it in good humour and she said, it's not my decision and no, you're not going in there. <laughs> so... um. And then on uh, Saturday then we had our ceremony where um, um, we met at the bridge. Um, fortunately, we had our police permit. So we had – Robin's very good at this, Brother Samael Demogorgon. He's done this numerous times where he's made these applications where if you're going to be a, on public land doing a protest, you basically give a notice to the police that you're going to do it. They more or less have to accept it. Um, and so um, – I think the notice was something along the lines of a permit to protest the council's um, discriminatory actions against the powers of darkness. Something like that was our official protest permit we were allowed to do. And um, anyway, it was raining a bit, so uh, like a bunch of trolls, we had to actually be under the bridge out of the rain, (laughs) which was kind of appropriate. (laughs) Did you say who's that clip clapping over my bridge? <laughs> <laughs> and good crowd of about twenty people, and um, and then we, uh, yeah, I gave a speech uh, outlining the history of discrimination that we've faced at the temple and the history of you know what had happened here, and um, it was good, lovely group of people. Media were there, more photos, blah blah, more stuff in the paper, like huge sort of thing, basically. And then making the point, well. Like uh, the other thing that Mayor Tate had said was that um, about us was they're based on the Sunshine Coast and if they have successful to kept people in the dark up there, that's where they should stay. They have made their decision to go to hell. That's their democratic right and enjoy your journey. So sort of making the point, well, you may not like Satanists, but if you're in a public office, you've got to at least pretend to uh, because mm. it's all about perception of fairness. Um, you don't have you know. to pretend to like, you just have to yeah. treat them equally. Yes, and um, but that's not as good a line, Joe. Like, you've got to, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, because now if you're going to counsel with an application of any sort where there's discretion... If you're a Satanist, you'd have to wonder whether you're going to be treated fairly. Would I be treated fairly? You know, it, well, if, it creates a, to, a worry. If you about... tried to get a planning application for a mm. Satanic temple on the Gold Coast. Hmm. Well, I'd be yeah, worried whether I'm going to get a fair deal. Yeah. yeah. So if you're 
if you, if you come out obviously in favour of certain groups, then the other groups will feel disadvantaged if they're not part of that group and rightly or wrongly will feel that a decision made against them hasn't been made fairly. So mm. it's important for public office bearers to be scrupulous about, as you say, appearing to be fair to everybody. So mm. these guys just don't get it that Satanism is another religion and um, sure, it might be the sort of antichrist religion but so what? Uh, it's just another religion. You've got to treat it that way. So, mm. um, so yeah, that was part of it. Um, you know, uh, and then really good bunch of people there. We went and had drinks up at, um, if you're ever at the Home of the Arts, there's a lovely building there on the fifth floor. There's a sort of a, a rooftop bar, really nice view of Surface Paradise. Really interesting people. Like that's one of the nice things about all this sort of stuff is, Really interesting people, had a great chat up there, all walks of life from one guy I know was a security guard for sex workers, another guy's a local doctor, other people were um, sort of costume design artists and all, you know, just a range of interesting people. Tom the Warehouse guy was there. So good fun event, about 20 people. Um, and, you know, it all sounds fun and games, but... I think during all this we've been able to make the point about important issues of treating religions fairly, also treating people who are not religious as well, um, the assumption of privilege. So these are all issues where if the secular, if you know, if the Atheist Foundation, the Rationalists, the National Secular Lobby, the Humanists just did a normal article saying this isn't fair, nobody would care. Nobody would have written anything. Nothing would be mm. highlighted about it. It's this sort of colourful stuff that gets media attention and it's just unfortunate that it has to be that way. It shouldn't be but just the way it is. So um, a lot of this stuff was sort of around the Gold Coast because it was the Gold Coast Bulletin and local Gold Coast News and Gold Coast Radio. But, boy, oh boy, we got more media on the Gold Coast in four days than the whole sort of atheist, secular, rationalist movement has got in four years, I guarantee you. So it was pretty big. So that was sort of the rundown there. And um, um, what else was I going to say about that? There has uh, been some mainstream media interest in May at 8. Right, yes. But, but, but not obviously as headline grabby. And I yeah. noticed in mm. some of the US stuff that's come out recently, people going, "Oh, why are you calling yourselves Satanists? Yeah, you're not. You don't believe in Satan, so, uh, right. and, and you're just getting people offside." And it's like right. you really don't understand the point of this, do you? Yeah, and I can't mm. mind read the the people who were there. Like, I don't. How do they know that? I don't know what the thoughts no. and beliefs are of the people who attend, and I can only assume there might have been people who do. It's hard to say. At one point there, this cameraman, there was, because all the media are on side, and this cameraman said, uh, after you've taken some photos, so you're not going to sacrifice any virgins? And um, I said, Why any are you virgins? Offering? Any virgins here <laughs> wanting to be sacrificed? <laughs> there were these two girls off to the side, and I think one of them must have whispered into the other one's ear, and they were like, oh, maybe this girl will, and then, then she backed out of it. So <laughs> we didn't have our virgin sacrificing stuff with us so next time <laughs> next time <laughs> uh, so what else can i say about uh about that um 
Uh, yeah, that all was good. And so the other thing, dear listener, the other news is that the religious instruction court case judgment will be delivered this Friday at 9.15am in Brisbane in the Supreme Court. So um, for a brief rundown for those of you who are not aware of it um, is that under Section 76, Education General Provisions Act, um, a minister of a minister or a representative of a religious denominational society is entitled to teach religion at our government schools for an hour a week to any kid of that denomination who wants it. The rest of the class have to leave. The teacher can't teach them anything substantive and the whole class grinds to a halt while a handful of kids get effectively a Sunday school lesson from a volunteer mum or dad who teaches a Sunday school type lesson that should be taught at Sunday school. And um, if that doesn't Uh, sound bad enough for you, sorry, Joe. I was going to say, and it's not uh, authorised as the syllabus is not chosen nor uh, signed off by the education department. Correct. It's, It's solely on the discretion of the church. Correct. So when we applied, we didn't have to provide any um, curriculum. So if, if, if that's not bad enough, remembering if a kid is going to get a music lesson, if they're part of the school band and they're off for a music lesson, they leave the class and the class continues. They have to catch up, but not the case mm. for religion. Now, if that doesn't sound bad enough, here's the calibre of stuff that's happening. One of our satanic kids on the Sunshine Coast was accidentally put into a Christian class and... This volunteer, Christian nutter, mother, started teaching creationism to the kids. And the Satanist kids said, what about evolution? And the teacher said, don't worry about that, sweetie. We all come from God. Now, this is happening in our government state schools. We're providing facilities and time for somebody to do this. It's an outrage. Um, so we applied, big court case last year, big enough for us, and a decision on Friday, look, um, uh, if we win, uh, it'll be amazing. Um, if we lose, which is probably the most likely case, let's face it, um, even then I think if we lose the judge will say, had our organisation been structured differently, had we kept a membership role, had we done other things, we would have won. And so whatever he says we need to do, we will do over the next couple of years and we'll have another crack at it. And hopefully that's enough to make the education department look at this law and, and think about it. So big day. Um, I'm a bit worried he's going to come out and say I was the worst advocate he'd ever seen in his court, which is entirely possible because I knew nothing of the rules of evidence and I got <laughs> slammed left, right and centre. Came out very punch drunk because uh, let's face it, I was just a humble suburban conveyancer 20 years ago, reigniting a career and ending up in the Supreme Court <laughs> doing something I'd never done before. So, And it showed. So I'm, I'm worried about the abuse he's going to give me. But anyway, um, we'll see and um, uh, you'll hear all about it Friday night or Tuesday next week, not sure. So, um, so hang out for that one. 
Joe, you're keeping track of the comments. Is there anything there that I need to know about, or is everyone okay? Or um... uh, Ju Julia was asking if uh, – uh, sorry, Mel was asking, did any of the bureaucrats in council understand the point of this? Um, I think they do, and um, I think reading between the lines from what reporters are saying that there are people who aren't happy in the council building about this woman, so – um, yeah, so reading between the lines, I think there are people who don't like it, yeah. Uh, any so other you may comments? have put an end to the prayer room. Well, the prayer room's definitely ended. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's well, un closed to people who are, unless they're in the building. <laughs> so um, so that's that. Um, yeah, any other, one, other ones in there, Joe? Or if you let me know if you see any yeah, that I mean, need to so, be responded to. So people to. wondering where... Hmm. Um, the the priest had come from the 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 advisor had come from. The answer is twenty four seven church is on her LinkedIn profile. Sue Baines, right. pastor twenty four seven church since two thousand and four. Right, but I can't find anything for that church on the Gold Coast other than a street location. Can't right. find a website. Okay. No don denomination information. So right, yeah. She's certainly from the Seven Mountains School of Christianity, so she's been caught on, well, not caught, she's on video talking about that, and um, and that is a thing. So, you know, I saw something on the paper about how the mayor's office was going to be hosting all of the school captains on the Gold Coast to an event. Um, these are the sorts of things they do, find out which ones are the Christians um, find out which ones are at all likely to want to go into politics or other important institutions within the Seven Mountains and identify them and nurture them and um, and hope to sort of seed Christians in power in positions of power. So it's definitely a thing. So um, so yeah, that's kind of an update on on satanic stuff. So if you are with us on the Noosa Temple of Satan Facebook page, um, we're going to go on to our normal sort of news and politics and non-satanic stuff, but we'll just keep it rolling on that um, channel. Stay tuned and uh, you might become keen to watch us on other weeks when we're not talking Satanism. But um, um, so anyway, um, uh, yeah. So Shay, um, mm. I saw over Easter that Qantas was in a shambles in, yes. and all the airports, all the airlines were in a shambles and mm. I thought you've only left them for two weeks and they've fallen apart already. <laughs> yes. So, so there was a... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there was a, a, a tweet from this guy, Patrick F. Conlon too, who said, Qantas has reintroduced the mystery flight option but it's for baggage only. So, <laughs> <laughs> people are arriving and their luggage was nowhere to be seen because yes. they didn't have enough baggage handlers. They were on flights with no meals or cups of tea mm -hmm. because there was no food. What's what's mm -hmm. going on in the airline industry? Shay, as an ex-Qantas employee, and tell us what mm. we need to know. Mm. Um, so I've just had COVID and I've noticed one of the side effects is a seemingly increased heart rate. So I'll try to remain calm as I'm <laughs> talking. But... To give you an example of what it was like over Easter, I uh, worked on 
Holy Thursday. Yep. I got called out for a Darwin return. And when I got there, we were delayed an hour because we knew that once we got the aeroplane to Darwin, there wasn't going to be a parking bay. <laughs> There's no point going. What? Because <laughs> no, no, no parking bay because <laughs> planes were still there. In my 10-year career, I don't think, like maybe five or ten minutes at most, but we can like moment by moment time out takeoff and landing and everything normally moves quite smoothly not on this particular day so anyway we delayed it an hour we didn't leave for an hour then we get in the air we land into darwin guess what no parking park. No parking. <laughs> so you're just stuck on the tarmac so we just sit on the tarmac and what like was a hijacked like a hijacked airplane mm. right Right. So what turned into an eight-hour day ended up being an 11-hour day because then we unloaded the luggage, we packed the luggage, we had people, because uh, right now people are connecting from Dar from London to Darwin to their other cities. Um, we had a whole range of connectors trying to get onto Canberra. Everybody missed those connections. and uh. But I think to top the day off was there was a young woman who um, was travelling with her baby for the first time. Um, I think it was about four months old. Got a gauging age, but small, but not newborn. And she was like, oh, look, the flight was oversold. Come with me. And there was nowhere to put her except an aisle seat, which was actually a pretty good seat considering. After this whole debacle, um, I just came up to her afterwards just to check how she'd gone. And she just said, never again. And, like, oh. we always have people say, oh, never like Qantas again but she was like deadpan she was like I know you've done your best mate but I will get in the car and drive for days before I get on a plane with a baby <laughs> again like that's how bad it was. and I just thought okay you know but is that technically Qantas's fault I was outraged parking bike? before when I yes oh. 6,000 staff they took all that taxpayer money and crew had to kind of deal with these sort of arbitrary terms about what was essential work so we didn't raise the alarm per se because was we were getting job keeper we were better off than aged care and all these other you know horrendous industries so we just shut up and took it, but we were just watching everything just get taken away, taken away, COVID this, COVID that, you know, airports were empty, there's no visibility of staff, they sacked yep. all our experienced ground crew, so the normal things take longer, we don't have proper, like, training. Oh, my God, I could just go on and on and on. Yeah, I was Easter telling you. Um, could have been foreseen. Easter could have been foreseen. They transported mm. 1.5 million people. On skeleton crews, which is what we mean. When we say skeleton, we mean like no people, like the absolute minimum. They did not have to do that. Mm. So there's been a history <clears throat> of Qantas and other airlines getting rid of their own staff and replacing them with contractors, uh, That's it right. seems, in recent times. So there's an article yes. here. And that actually oh. outsources responsibility, mm. right? Because I'm mm. not accountable to Qantas anymore. I'm not wearing a Qantas uniform. I could be yep. anybody. No one's going to approach me. Yep. And I do think that, Julia, but I'm not willing to say it because I feel like it's too alarmist. 
But certainly there are themes that are similar. When you watch the film Downfall about Boeing, just think, mm. fuck. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you can count on your crew. Like I don't want anybody afraid after this. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm just reading from an article yep. from the um, – uh, from the Guardian that said, in Melbourne, Guardian Australia can reveal that baggage handlers working at, on Qantas flights but employed by international company Swissport um, have been so short-staffed, some planes have been forced to leave without passengers' luggage loaded onto the flight. Um, a bit further down in the article it says, at times just two baggage handlers have been available to unload a Boeing 737 Um and staff shortages within the companies that Qantas contracts to provide its baggage handlers are contributing to the network-wide disruptions at several airports. Um, catering deliveries have also been plagued with issues. Planes waiting up to an hour on a tarmac for food deliveries. Uh, so they've taken off on medium-haul flights with no food. And um, source says that baggage handling staff for Qantas flights had become so dire in recent days that employees expecting to be overworked at Easter know they're going to be absolutely whipped so they don't show up at all. Uh, since Qantas outsourced these jobs, it hasn't been as visible an issue because flight demand hasn't been the same as before COVID. Uh, but since last week, it's getting busy again. So these baggage handling companies are running with no fat. It's about cutting costs, the source said. All sounds about right to you, Shane. Mm. Bang on. Yeah. So this, as I was saying earlier, when just before we went on air, sounds to me like an example of shock doctrine. So, dear listener, if you haven't read it, go and get a copy of uh, Naomi Klein's book called Shock Doctrine, where it talks about um, quite often sort of third world countries it happens to where when a shock occurs, which might be an earthquake or a cyclone or a tsunami or it might be something financial, like the financial crisis or some currency crisis or some other thing happening somewhere. In those moments when people are in shock and the normal ability to um, rustle up democratic forces and object to something objectionable isn't possible, uh, essentially well-oiled, well-funded groups just sit and wait for these opportunities and just like a pack of vultures come into these countries and and make changes. So a tidal wave will come in, wipe out these villages and um, uh, totally decimate their virtual huts, if you like, uh, their fishing fleets and their jetties. And while they're inland and, and further in the highlands drying off and wiping the mud off themselves, you know, bulldozers are moving in, totally wiping out their former residences, making it really difficult for people to identify where they even used to live and things are rezoned and before you know it, you've got uh, multi-level um, tourist accommodation appearing where there were fishing villages and and that sort of shock doctrine is what Naomi uh, Klein describes in her book and, yeah, yeah. so when um, executives see an opportunity like the pandemic and go, well, I can sneak in changes here that would never have been possible in ordinary circumstances, but these are not ordinary circumstances and uh, and things slip in and um, when situation goes back to normal, uh, the new rules are in place 
not much you mm. can do. It's nuked. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Except, that's yes. Speak up. Yeah. So thanks for thanks for the chance to have my little rant. There you go. Good on you, Shay. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I saw this clip about some Christians on a plane. I want you to tell me if you've ever seen this. Is there any is there any policy shame? Should have come um, with trigger warnings. <laughs> if a bunch of Christians grab a guitar and start singing on a plane, have you ever had that happen to you as a flight attendant? No, but I stop people if they are even watching their iPads without their headphones in. Right. Like right. I want a silent aircraft. <laughs> I would absolutely have stopped them. They're being disruptive, and they need to take that, their There were comments that the um, flight marshal. Missed his opportunity. Uh, that was obviously oh, an unprovoked, <laughs> yeah, unprovoked assault. Yeah, there we go. Just thought they'd fire up the guitar and praise the Lord on the on the flight. And wouldn't everybody think that was fantastic? What could possibly be wrong with that? You've seen the anti-abortionist preacher on the Sydney train. Uh, the anti-abortion, no. The anti- uh, do, doing the same no. thing, starts ranting and raving, reading his Bible passages. Right. Uh, and this old guy sitting in the carriage says, mate, I- I'm glad you've got your beliefs, but no one else wants to hear them. Shut up. Oh, good on him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, so, Shay, you've never had to do that on a plane. You've just, people with iPads without their earphones, you've said, hey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Um, um, I thought there were particular things about stowing a guitar as well like maybe that's another thing that saves us is Qantas is particular about how you carry your guitar you can't Some just put it in the overhead said, locker sometimes you've got to put it at, you've got to buy another seat for it and all this stuff so that could be another protective mechanism right <laughs> some I people have, have said but... that this was a charter flight oh, oh really? okay uh, okay. Not not sure, but it was possibly a charter flight. In which case, because uh, nobody can tell us when it was and what flight it was and where it was. Okay, just the look on the faces didn't look. T- no, exactly. <laughs> not everyone. Was, not everyone was impressed. It wasn't. It didn't look like a charter flight for Christians anyway. I don't know. It just. It just looked like there were a lot of people with glum faces who weren't that impressed. So if I was on that flight. I would have turned to the attendant at the end and just like that person in Darwin said, never again. I would rather drive three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were there was suggestions of alternate music that could be played or, or sung as yes. a counterbalance. Yes. Uh, I, my favourite one is The Loophole by Garfunkel and Oates. Oh, I haven't heard it. I have to do it another time. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. I just want to quickly uh, add that, yeah. um, that I went searching for any empirical evidence to connect outsourcing with safety implications and I couldn't find any. Right. So <clears throat> I just want to be on the record for that. Okay. All right. Okay. There's um, a lot of other implications but not safety. Right. Yep. Um. Are you able to, do you want to tell people what new job or do you want to wait till next week and is it 
we'll leave it till next uh, week. Tell, tell yeah. people what your new job is, or you? Yeah. My employer, current employer, no. So I have a full time job working for the finance sector union. So very good. Going to be an organizer there. So all right. Hopefully, so I'll be able if, to learn some skills and then go and help the flight attendants. <laughs> or, yeah. We'll see. If there's, anyway. uh, yeah. So if there's a bank teller strike in six months, you can blame Show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that won't happen. You will have you will have carefully have negotiated better positions. That's right. Without, without resorting right. to the final ultimatum. Strike, comrades. Yes. All I can say, Shay, is remember us when you're famous. So. <laughs> I think mm. you'll be famous before me. Yeah, infamous, same. maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. So, um, I've been banging on on this podcast for quite a while about how labor needs to be able to sell an idea, and they were the small target because they seemed incapable of actually selling an idea in the way that uh, Hawke and Keating could in the past, where they could actually take public opinion along with them, where people may have been against an idea or not know anything about it and they could tell a story and sell it and uh, and saying, well, where's the salesman in this labour organisation? Mm. And um, and then, of course, just like you, Albo's got uh, COVID or had COVID. Um, actually, he's got it now. He's a little bit behind you. So um, And so the spokesperson, Jason Clare, has come out um, with a bit more time to say stuff and I've been very impressed but Shay you you're okay is is it good but not great this sort of your feeling is that you're not as much of a fanboy as I am by the sounds of it is it is okay yeah well he's the campaign spokesperson yeah so I so, think he was given a fair audience yep so yeah. I've got a little clip here, so I'll play a bit just so people get an idea of, of how he comes across. We'll see how. Have a, go, have a listen to this. The implications of Mr Albanese having COVID, one of the challenges he faces and that you face is he's largely unknown with voters. We see that in poll after poll. How damaging is it, therefore, that he's going to spend the next week in his home in Sydney and unable to cross the country interacting with voters. Yeah. Look, I think the real problem is that Australians know Scott Morrison too well. They know he abandoned them during the bushfires. They know that he failed them by not buying enough vaccines when we were stuck at home, when half the country was stuck at home last year. They know that he failed them during the floods when people were stuck on their own roofs waiting for helicopters. They know that this government has deliberately kept their wages low for a decade. They know that this government has rorted taxpayers' money for their own benefit. They know that Scott Morrison's own party call him a liar. And they know that this government has no real plans for the future other than trying to drag themselves across the line on May 21st. That's Scott Morrison's problem. Mark. Australians to elect Anthony Albanese as opposed to kick out Scott Morrison? Well, we're, we're, we're saying two things. One, this government doesn't deserve to be re-elected. They don't deserve to be rewarded with your vote after all of the failures of the last decade. Now, as Albo said the other day, Australia is the best country in the world, but we deserve a better government. Australians don't kick out governments. He goes on. Um, I thought he was pretty good off the top of his head. 
rattling through his key points. Um, the the thought, audio was the a little bit low. So. This government has, f and I thought he was about to say fucked up. You <laughs> can't say that in the news. <laughs> yes. So, um, so that's good. He's been a bit of a find. Um, Albo uh, says I the same stuff. Good. That's why I think is the delivery better, just without the lisp or something. Yeah. You find him more. I think that, yeah. Um, I thought it was punchier and a bit more aggressive. I think mm. Albo has been a little bit, uh, yeah, not aggressive enough, not a, not sticking it to him hard enough. Being because um, <clears throat> that's you know it's the main point of this election is just how bad the other guys have been and mm. atrocious. So um, so yeah, I liked that he sort of stuck it to him a bit mm. more clearly and a bit with a bit more aggression. So yeah. Um, so that was good. Jim Charles has been pretty good. Um, I did um, – have you done Vote Compass at all, Shay? Um, no. I've heard about it on Radio oh. National. Okay. So um, uh, Vote Compass. Oh, Joe, is, the... Joe did it last week, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And left. Remind me, Joe, where, uh, where you um, – where you ended up um, on, uh, on the on the chart? Uh, on one axis aligned with the Greens, on another axis aligned with Labor. Right. Okay. I can't. I can't remember which axis was what. Yep. I found the so Vote Compass asks you a series of questions, and um, I found actually I've got it here where I. Um, it's a little bit strange. They ask you things like. Do you think the government should spend more money on unemployment or less? Do you agree or strongly agree or strongly disagree? And do you think there should be more money spent on um, foreign aid than there is at the moment? And, well, a lot of the questions I thought, well, who even knows how much is actually spent on foreign aid? Like some of it was... Mm -hmm. Tricky in that you just wouldn't know what the starting point was. You're just assuming that there's not enough. Most people, and yeah, I, I found the questioning a bit, a bit strange. But um, anyway, that was my vote compass. So um, I, I was slightly to the left of you, Trevor. There you go. Okay, I th yeah. So I was sort of halfway between Labor and Greens at the end of the day. You should do it um, at some stage, Shay, and see where yeah. you end up. Um, yeah, so that was uh, my positioning anyway on Vote Compass. I thought I might have been a little closer to the Greens than what I was, but um, there were a few questions, I have to say, about sort of Indigenous rights where I probably wasn't on side with the Greens and that's what's um, shifted me away probably on those issues. So, um, right, um, what else have we got here? Um, um you know, again, Morrison, uh, it's all about the photo op and um, saw this tweet which was um, – actually, let me put it this way. It was from um, an SBS reporter saying that uh, PM has stopped by a BCF store in the New South Wales Central Coast. He won't be holding a press conference today and didn't answer our questions as he left. But they still show him – in the BCF, pretending to be the everyman fisherman, um, 
What are you doing, SBS? Don't report it. You are just... He was not going to hold a press conference, so you shouldn't be there. Mm. You're just giving free publicity to this guy. Any politician who just says, I'm going to be at this point, but I'm not going to take questions, well, good luck. We won't be there. That's that's so annoying for these groups like um, the SBS and ABC to continue to give airtime if they're not going to um, uh, actually take a press conference while they're there. They've got to at least well, do that. I, I, I think they're turning up on the hope that he will make some comment. Yeah, well... Um, when he says in advance he won't be holding a press conference, take him for his word for once. Yeah. Um, there was, of course, that um, incident where I forget which program he was on, but he said that uh, he and Jen had been blessed not to have a child with a disability. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on that one, Shay? Just he, he copped some oh, flack I was, on that. I was kind of like, I was surprised at the outrage because, of course, that's what really. Religious people think. Mm. Literally, after the floods, I went for a walk in my street and I was stopped by an uh, older lady and she was like, oh, you live on this street, are you affected? And I said, no, no. Just, oh, you're very blessed, aren't you? Yes. Mm. yes. No, I'm high, yeah. off the ground. Yep. Like, can we have a <laughs> conversation about that? No. <laughs> You Did you say that or you just moved on? Did you no, say that? No, I was just, just like. Just thinking. I, I was like, yeah. Because then she started saying, and just so you know, it's not climate change. I'm like, this has turned into no. a weird walk. Really? Is that what she said? <laughs> yes. This random woman. Anyway, but that's a, that's really it. Like, that's ah. just normal for religious people. They think things are a blessing or yeah, from yeah. God, not from God. Yeah, he wouldn't yeah. have thought there was anything wrong with what he said. Yeah, that, yeah. there's the classic quote, and that's there? the problem. Oops, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, praising God for for sparing you during a tornado mm. is like um, thanking the serial killer for killing the family next door and and, and not coming to your house. Yeah, because <laughs> there's those pictures where they show a tornado going through a midwestern town, and the sole surviving building has a a thing on the roof saying, thank you, Jesus, for sparing us or something like that. And yes. Yeah. What does everybody else think? Yeah. So, well, I, I had a similar incident of us going for a walk and being accosted. I was on the Gold Coast at Coolangatta and there's a sort of a pathway there in between the shops and the beach. Really lovely spot. And, um, you know, it's just stacked with people walking, enjoying the sunshine Lots of people in their just their togs and their bikinis and whatever. And the um, the Clive Palmer candidate was there in like this suit and with a couple of um, associates with him. And we where they were, we sort of uh, it was like a, a little intersection of pathways, and we were heading off to the left. And so, you know how people sometimes accost you where they say. Hi, how's it going? Or, you know, when you're in a shop, when they're trying to sell you a raffle ticket or something, and you just sort of keep your head down and keep going. <laughs> like, well, I kind of did that. Well, we, you know, there's my wife and a few others, and we just put our heads down and just kept going. I might have muttered something. I'm not sure about, yeah, yeah. And and because I didn't want to get into any kind of discussion with a Clive Palmer <laughs> candidate. Like, I'm, 
I'm on a holiday. <laughs> but, and this guy, he's one of his associates, was like, oh, you don't want to talk to us. It's that sort of thing, is it? Oh, how rude's that? Oh, you're too good for us, are you? Like, yeah. And he was there trying to rustle up votes for this character. And um, I was... I was a little bit tempted to turn on my heels, but no. I thought, mm. no, I'm not going to let you um, impose your self on me and cause me to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm right, in control of the situation mate. and I'm walking away. Exactly. What I'll do is I'll get on my podcast later and I'll show a picture <laughs> of your candidate. Because. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, because it's really struck me at the time that the candidate down there really looked like Commander Fred Waterford from um, The Handmaid's Tale. Like <laughs> <laughs> that photo, and he was wearing the same sort of suit in a really beachy bikini type scene, and he's in this very formal suit with this trimmed beard. And I was just having flashes of Commander Fred Waterford, and um, and so you know, did a little of, a bit of um, poking around. Mel J has got right; she says under his eye. And um, his name's Joshua Berrigan, and he's the United Australia Party candidate for Queensland seat of Macpherson. See if any of this surprises you. Uh, he has lived on the Gold Coast for 34 years, is a father of two and has been married to his wife, Shay, for mm. 10 years. Joshua holds a Bachelor of Laws, Bachelor of International Business and a Diploma of Education. Having worked as a chaplain, comma, teacher and pastor for the past 15 years, he has dedicated his life to investing in individuals and families. And finds himself as a United Australia candidate. Oh boy, yeah, um, yeah. Um, Julia says he looks like a televangelist. Well, without the television yet, mm. it seems Julia, I want to mm. be televangelist. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, in the chat room, uh, Ricky said, just allowed the daughter to start watching Handmaid's Tale uh, to prepare in the event of Morrison getting in again. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway, that was spooky and... Um, yeah, because I sort of imagined that it was as part of your Noosa Temple of Satan thing, like he would have come down mm -hmm. to face off mm -hmm. with you there, but no. No, no. no mind your own bar, business. So. Mm, yeah, just minding my own business, campaign. much like you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Much like you and um approach. So yeah. Um now, Joe, I'm gonna need your help, Joe, as we um go through some graphs here. I think mm -hmm. I've got the first one uh ready. No, okay, that'll be that one there. So um yeah. Okay. So Saul S Lake, um very, very smart man, um, uh, an economist, a real expert on Australia. Used to be um, like the resident economist for the ANZ and not sure which group he's with now. I remember going to a, um, a thing once where he was speaking, some luncheon thing, and he spoke for like an hour 
so on top of his brief, so obviously expert in in things. It was a real performance, very impressive. And he's written an article which is um, Australia's major political parties like to claim particular areas of policy turf as their own home grounds. For Labor, it's usually health and education. For the Coalition, it's typically national security and economic management. And he asked the question, how true are the Coalition's claims to be better economic managers than Labor? And it's quite a long piece with lots of words, but I'm going to concentrate on the graphs. And the first one, chart number one, average rates of real GDP. Well, his basic conclusion is that there's not much difference between the parties at all in terms of their economic management performance over time. So chart number one shows average rates of real GDP growth under coalition and Labor governments. And you can basically see a trend line and it's pretty even between the red and the blue, depending on the time that you're at. Um, Chart number two, Joe, is um, the average rate of employment growth under coalition and Labor governments. And again, um, uh, slightly better overall probably to Labor because it was pretty bad in the Fraser years. but, you know, ups and downs with both of them. Um, the next one was chart number three, average rates of unemployment. And again, mixed bag, mixture between the different parties. What you really see is, is sort of trends that happen whether, irrespective of whether you're in government or not. These sort of have lines and trends that, um, that, that happen and whether it's red or blue at the time. Uh, just when do you fall in the trend line? Uh, chart number four, average inflation rates, a clear trend downwards that happened irrespective of whether you were liberal or liberal. Um, I think the next one, chart five, average official cash rate. I'm not sure if that was the one I put. Yes, it is. Um, again, a trend line, sometimes uh, um, liberal labour, just following the trend. Um uh, and I think the next one might be the final one, Joe. Is um, yeah, I'll come to that one, which is um, the most important one: um, average taxation receipts under coalition and Labor governments. This is the key one. Mm-hmm. If you're wanting to argue things, you will hear relentlessly that Labor are always high taxing governments, and show them this graph where it is the average tax receipts as a percentage of GDP. And the biggest tax in government um, in the last decades was the Howard government. Yeah, but you're Next. ignoring the important point. Yes. It's who they're taxing. Yes. And Labor tax <laughs> the big end of town. Yes. And so when the Liberals say they're the lowest taxing, they don't mean on the average person, they mean on the, the top end of town. Yes, that's right. So, um, and then the next one is the Karen Abbott, oh, Abbott Turnbull Morrison. Um, you know, it was a bigger taxing than Rudd Gillard. So uh, that's a really important graph and that's a really important thing to understand. If people say, oh, I don't want to vote Labor, they always tax you too much, just saying, biggest taxing government, Howard, next it was... Uh, it went down with Rudd and Gillard and then it went up again with Abbott Turnbull Morrison. So the figures, there they are. So that was um, 
that was Saul Eslake's article, and uh, he's pretty good. Mm. So there'll be links in the show notes. Yeah, show notes go for the patrons. So if you're a patron, you get the show notes. If you're not a patron, you'll have to beg me for them, and I might send them to you separately. <laughs> Probably just easy to become a patron. Cost you a <laughs> dollar a show. Nice PDF you get. So you could consider that. Um, John Simmons is a patron. He says, put in the show notes, please. I will, John. All right. um, uh, I've been spending a bit of time on Twitter. Um, So, yeah. Very brave of you. I love it too. Hmm. Uh, Elon has bought it. Yes. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Um, it, it was interesting Will that it? the board. You said, already told us what's going to happen. Just because people say things are going to happen doesn't mean you believe them. <laughs> it, it's it's going to be um, free speech until somebody says something that pisses Elon off, and then it'll be they're blocked. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, no, I like it because it's easy to um, it's easy to get these clips off, and, um, and it's easy to bookmark stuff. Uh, so mm. I'm, I like Twitter for that. And um, uh, Julia in the chat room here, she's on Twitter all the time. She's posting stuff and liking stuff. She's a good guideline, Julia. And uh, so there was this ABC journalist who um, had her sort of Twitter followers or whatever um, categorised. In, in lists in Twitter, and so she's meant to be a you know independent journalist, and she had uh, allocated her followers into lists. Some of the category titles were Labor Trolls slash Thugs and Lobotomized Shitheads. Um, were some of the <laughs> some of the groups that she had. And, um, so did she accidentally publicise this? I didn't quite get she, the She didn't know. Context. She probably didn't know that it was people could see right. what the list. She possibly thought it was private and mm. didn't know that it was um, open to other people to see. So uh, she's off the air and I think uh, no longer has the ABC on her resume or her LinkedIn profile might have gone. So... Anyway, um, any thoughts, Shay or Joe, about um, Catherine Deves, Devis Deves, the the anti-trans candidate, the um, Morrison's pick. the The common thread I've been seeing is that it's a design. Yeah, it, it's it's by design that she is that way. Mm. Um, a, it's a distraction from everything else that's going on, mm. and that Morrison is playing to the evangelical vote. Yep, and uh, this is a sign that he is very much a conservative and listening to the ACL, uh, yep. and and people similarly aligned, and he's not pandering to those woke greenies. Yep. So he's kind of sacrificing that seat and willing to sort of lose it, uh, given the seat was one with, um, you know, uh, electorate really that's not going to cop what she's saying, but it's a dog whistle to the other seats where 
people might be more inclined to take that. So um, got here, this is from Ronnie Salt on Twitter and basically um, talking about the marriage equality vote and of the 17 electorates that voted no to marriage equality, 12 of them were in and around the Western Sydney um, suburbs. Nine of them are represented by Labor MPs. Three mm. are held by Liberals. So it's really aimed at those seats telling them that these sorts of people who are obviously socially conservative because they voted no to the marriage equality, uh, it's, a, it's a signal to them um, about that particular issue and really is hoping to pick up those seats and sacrifice the one that Catherine Dev is is in. That kind of makes sense, mm. I think. Yeah. So I've also seen a lot of, oh my God, probably uh, Murdoch News complaining that she's just been deplatformed and uh, how bad this censorship is. Yes. Meanwhile, she deleted her own sort of social media accounts and refused to attend different functions for campaigners. So, um, yeah. I'd just, just like to of, say that certainly in terms of saving women's sports, I mean, there's a whole range mm. of actions you could actually take that mm. would save women's sports. And then the other thing that's being um, circulated on Twitter is, again, if you're coming into terms of women's issues, this is pretty low on the list. Uh, mm. Ten thousand yeah. of us were out marching about the Jenkins report and those types of recommendations, and it was nowhere to be seen then. So it's just, yeah, it's baloney. Yeah, there, there is just no particular incident with a trans athlete that they can point to in Australia at this stage that makes this an issue. And mm. there are laws in place that talk about testosterone levels and things like that that uh, to try and even it up. And it might be that – sorry, Joe, you want to say something? Yeah, well, I was going to say um, there was an interesting podcast, um, Science Versus, mm. and she was on the ABC, she's moved to the US now, about uh, trans people and said if you are a male to female – yeah, basically if you're a trans woman and mm. you have been through male puberty – there is a physical difference that is noticeable in endurance sports. Mm. Um, so you have a, a, a higher bone density. Mm. But with the new puberty blockers, um, that's not going to be an issue in the future. And they said, you know, there are a number of things that cause bigger variations in ability than just that. And we should mm. be looking at everything as a whole rather than just mm. picking one single issue. Mm. So I think it's a tricky issue where they need to look at um, almost case by case as to what has actually physically happened with this individual in terms of advantages or not. So there are, you know, protocols in place to try and deal with that. It might be that some of them are right or wrong or need adjusting, but at least there's a start for that. Well, there's rules in place. There's no particular single athlete that's causing the issue. It's really just a nasty dog whistle by Morrison seeking to try and wedge um, Labor on an issue and doing it at the expense of some pretty traumatised people who've got enough problems without picking on them. Mm. So, 
Um, yeah, fairly ugly yet again. Um, let me see here. What else have we got? Um, um, uh, um, we've got, did you see, I don't know if I actually put this in the list, Joe Biden giving a speech and no. at the conclusion of the speech, turned to his right to shake hands with somebody, but there was just nobody there and he kept holding out his hand and expecting somebody oh, no. to say, yeah, like um, it really does seem that, uh, actually I've got it here, hang on, I do have it. Let's play this. Um, bear with me. Here we go. America. God bless you all. Bad, isn't it? <laughs> oh no! Yeah, it looks like a case of mm. dementia. There, really it does, doesn't it? Mm. Yes, not good. No. Well, uh, there's there's grounds for him to retire. And who is the vice president? Kamala Harris, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really understand enough of what's going on there. She seems to get bagged a lot, but, you know, vice presidents mm. really don't get much opportunity to do anything. It's just a mm. job where you're shuffled off to the side and, and it's not what happens. It's not as if she's um, a left-leaner either. Apparently she's right. very, very conservative. Yeah. So she seems to cop an awful lot of flack when really I don't know that there can be any one thing pointed to where she's done anything wrong, but... um. Um, uh, so yeah, not, um, not sure about that. Um, mm. uh, I would like to head- say that, um, even though Albo doesn't come across, um, maybe that well by media, he's very, yeah. um, sharp in real life. So yes, yeah, we don't live in America. I just like to remind listeners of that. <laughs> yep. It's a bit like the guy who's the deputy premier in Queensland. Um, Stephen Miles. Yeah, like he comes across very wooden on mm. the TV, but you say that in real life he's actually quite charming and charismatic. Yeah, and, and yeah, so it's just interesting mm. that he's been trained, it seems, into a very wooden delivery style. So um, I think it does take a lot of practice. And but of the, course, he did come up like with I, a classic. What a contrast. Yeah, I mean that was so good. What was that? But it does like. Uh, he was he was addressing a Labor Day parade or whatever it was, and he says, "Whilst you're here, uh, out in the wet, marching or whatever it was, um, Scotty's sitting down at a thousand dollar a head meal. What a cunt! Uh, what a contrast!" Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was some of his yeah. best work. Yeah. But, yeah, like I, as I was saying, I did another interview recently and, like, I was, like, stiff and wooden and I think they edited all the ums out. 
you know, and I didn't even tell them I was a podcaster because I was too embarrassed that, you know, they might expect right. more of me. So this old media lark, it's it's tricky. Okay. It's not as easy as it looks. No. Nah. We're making it look easy, dear listener. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, a duck, you know, the feet are paddling madly under the water. You can't see it. So a... Um, just from the Only in America um, file, uh, here's a headline from the Wall Street Journal, um, main headline, an unintended consequence of student debt relief. So this is if they cancel student debt. Will young Americans volunteer for the armed forces in adequate numbers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought there were other. I mean, you get free health care as well and there are a few other. If you're yeah. a whatever, um, uh, basically the child of an immigrant, you can get your citizenship if you join the armed services. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So there are a number of perks for joining up. There are, yeah. Um, this is another, um, uh, this one, a tweet by uh, Pauline Hanson. Kids from the bush tell me because their speeds are so bad they keep getting beaten by gamers from overseas. Dash She's wrong, it's the latency. Right. I was going to ask you about this, Joe. So isn't that – what is the difference between speed and latency? What's this? What's... So so speed is how quickly you can download a file. Latency is how quickly you can send a message and get a reply. Ah, right. Yeah. Mm. So you can have a very high speed, but because most – basically the bush services are all satellite. Yep. Um, and so unless you were going to run fibre to the houses out in the bush, yep. uh, it's always going to be a problem. And even under the best uh, labour proposal, there was still something like 7% of households would still be covered by satellite. Right. Okay. So there will always be the problem until we can get fibre to every house in the country, and that's never yep. going to happen. Yep. So if, if you're not gaming, if you maybe you're working in some IT role where yep. you're downloading, uploading files, you're perfectly fine then. It's just... Gaming uh, issue. It, so, if you're downloading, uploading files, it's fine. If you're video conferencing, it can be shit oh, because okay. you keep talking over the top of people. Um, if you're trying to access a database where you're possibly writing things that other people are writing at the same time, yeah. that can cause issues. Uh, it, it's not as simple as, oh, they've got speed, it's not a problem. Yeah. And not everyone is. It, it, it very much depends on what you're doing as to how much of an impact it's going to have. Yep, yep. Um, the other one I saw was uh, there was an interview Lee Sales was doing with um, Adam Bant from the Greens about uh, um, proposing to tax um, – uh, actually, I might have the video for this one. Let me just see if uh, – let me just see if we've got – yeah, we do. Lee Sales with billionaires. Here we go. Hang on a sec. Try this. Um. The Greens are proposing a billionaire's tax where people um, earning huge incomes would face an extra 6% tax. But many of those 131 people would already be some of the country's biggest donors to charities, some of the biggest philanthropic givers. You tax them more and, and, A, they have less to immediately give to the causes that they support, which has a big flow and effect to major charitable organisations, and, B, wouldn't their direct charitable spending be a more efficient and, and um, uh, sort of 
I guess, direct use of their resources than having it siphoned through government. And so it's a bad idea to tax billionaires because it's more efficient to let them give the money away to charity than to tax them. What a strange the argument. The problem Isn't is it? billionaires pick and choose what's close to their heart. So they yeah. could be funding uh, research of some rare cancer because their child has it, which is great yes. for people who've got it. Yeah. But if you gave that money to the government, they go, well, actually, there's 80,000 people in this country who have this disease that we need to focus on first. Yes. Exactly. It's just a really strange argument to try and, to try and run that, oh, it's a, it's these, very they're, 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 giving, yeah, they're giving their money away to charity and there's just be less money for them to give to charity because you're going to take it in tax and it's very inefficient, you know. For God's sake. Um, that's the whole neoliberal argument, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Less meddling. So isn't yeah. she just being devil's advocate? She's not suggesting that's the obvious way. She's just giving, leading into Adam, like giving him a chance to say, of course, that's not how it works. Okay. Maybe she was just playing devil's advocate and just trying to find the counterpoint to what seems to be a good idea. Maybe she was. Yeah. Yeah, true. Oh, you're right. So um, I'm going to do some investigating on how much billionaires give away. I was There's a particular guy, this Jeremiah Brown on Twitter, who seems to be involved in this area, was saying that uh, the total wealth of the top 200 Australians is $479 billion, but the total amount of all donations to Australian charities was $11.8 billion. So, um, so you know, a tiny fraction of the 479, and that's allowing for all donations. So more information to come about um, how much billionaires actually give away, but short answer is uh, not much and not enough. And, mm. yeah. Well, famously, Bill and Melinda Gates, I think it's half of their um, fortune, isn't it? Mm. But it, but if you had a wealth tax, you know, income tax was at 50. Income tax was top rate was 70% in the um, 50s and 60s. Mm. So yeah. it, you could very much argue not enough, even if they were giving 50%, and that's mm. the most philanthropic of all of them. Yes. Mm. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. Elon Musk was like, uh, if he said it to Eunice, you, you, uh, the UN, um, I'll give you $6 billion if you can provide me with a plan about how you're going to um, use it. So they developed a plan and put it to him and he was just like, no, nah, that's not going to solve yes. world hunger. I don't know what his reason was for saying no, but basically yeah. they called his bluff. I think they said so, the $6 billion was only going to be for 12 months to, to defeat world hunger for 12 months and he said, well, if it's not permanent, then I'm not doing it. So it's only going to be a short term. <laughs> Because he easy, wanted to be, yeah. So, but you know, the forty odd billion he's spending could have saved or solved world hunger for seven years, and arguably by that time, um, if nobody's hungry, maybe it's all fixed by the end. Anyway, he I, wanted I to. Did see a meme that said if he was serious about um, helping America, <laughs> Elon Musk instead of buying Twitter could have bought Fox News and just shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have worked. 
Oh, okay. We're nearly at the end of our um, session here. Um, oh, I'll throw this one on to you, Shay. I, I saw on, on Facebook it was about you had a friend, Kate, who died without a will and it was a really interesting story where um, it caused enormous problems for the family because um, I think the surviving beneficiary was incapacitated or something like that, so she mm. had to provide guarantees. It was a very difficult situation for the family to mm. when Kate died without a will, and you knew her through the airline industry, is that right? Yeah, she was a good mm. friend and colleague. I've been mm. um, kind of unlucky because I've had two friends kill themselves in as many years, and mm. um, it was actually through Brandon's um, sister, who is one of the friends that died, that I actually saw the article. Mm. So these two people that have never met connected me to to Kate's family. Yep. And I had been wondering because um, obviously she lived in Perth, the funeral was in Perth. I, I wrote a poem to have read out at the funeral but obviously couldn't be there because it was the height of COVID in 2020. But yep. I had been wondering how the family had been going because I knew um, Kate's parents were both ill before she died. Mm. So because Kate's mum, and I've been trying to tee up a conversation with her sister Emma to see if perhaps um, she'd like to come on the show or if she wants me to read the article out. We haven't been Mm. able to tee anything up yet. But, um, yeah, basically the gist of it is her mum has Alzheimer's, um, Kate unexpectedly died, she didn't have a will and... um, yeah. So under the intestacy rules, it would go to her parents, but they were incapable of administering it. So, yes. uh, so this Emma was it was going to be the administrator, yes. but the problem is the court has this rule that if you're going to be the administrator and the beneficiary is somebody who is um, under a disability, like a, a child under eighteen or someone with Alzheimer's, then you've got to put up a, a guarantee. Yes. Um, of money in case you fiddle the books and benefit yourself to their detriment and you've got to put up this lump sum if you want to act as the administrator if the beneficiary is in that circumstance. I'd never heard of this before. No. Um, so, yeah, really terrible situation for them. So I really feel yes. for them. Um, yes. So, yeah, get a will. It's not hard to do, dear listener. Um one person, a famous person who died without a will, fun fact for you, is Robert Holmes Accord. Like, very oh, rich man, wow. intentionally died without a will because under the intestacy rules, it splits it in different ways to your relatives. And he was quite happy with that split. So he thought, I don't need a will. And none of them were presumably... Uh, incapable, so it wasn't a problem of administration. So, yeah, it was just an intentional decision not to have wow. a will and to rely on the intestacy rules. There you go. Fun fact. Mm. So they ha- they do serve a purpose in terms of it's not something you could just abolish. It's yeah, no, and, and normally it's not a problem uh, yeah, if can. the beneficiaries are capable. It's where the beneficiaries are not capable, then the administrator has to stump up this guarantee that they won't rip them off, yeah, mm. and caused an enormous problem, yeah, yeah. so. Okay. Hmm. All right. Well, dear listener, I reckon we've run through enough um, stuff there. Uh, 
that'll keep you going for a while. Uh, next week, you'll hear about the judgment. Fingers crossed. It's going to be big on Friday. <laughs> Sacrificing we'll go. goat or a virgin. Mm-hmm. Don't know what do we're going to do. Do you need to stay out of the courthouse? No, I don't think so. It'll be Robin and I'll be there, so we'll <laughs> see how we go. If we win, you'll see us on the news. If we lose, uh, might knows? still see us. Yeah, might you'll still. be live, live streaming, won't you, from the courthouse? Yeah, I think we'll be too busy. So um, anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, it's goodbye from me. Talk to you next time. Good night. And is a good night from him. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. It seems that you've been living two lives. One of these lives has a future, and one of them does not. I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can be, Mr. Anderson. You're here because we need your help. My colleagues believe that I'm wasting my time with you, but I believe you wish to do the right thing. We're willing to wipe the slate clean, give you a fresh start. And all that we're asking in return is your cooperation in... A simple donation of $1 per episode. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. But I think I got a better one. How about... I give you the finger, and you give me my free podcast. Oh, Mr. Anderson. You disappoint me. You can't scare me with this Gestapo crap. I know my rights. I want my free podcast. Tell me, Mr. Anderson... What good is a podcast if you're unable to hear? Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee, 
Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it? Because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.